I'm Jared Waitley. Here's a snapshot of Thursday, November 16. Damien Fleming assessed Australia's strengths and concerns entering the World Cup semi-final. I think we are vulnerable. I just mentioned if uh, particularly Marnus and Stephen Smith need to rebuild and that lowers our ceiling batting-wise unless we see another maxi miracle. I thought the teams like India, England, South Africa definitely had totals of 380 to 400 on the cards regularly. I didn't see us getting that score unless, you know, Warner and Head and Marsh really bludgeon right up the top and then Maxi and Stoinis finishing at the end. So our biggest vulnerability would be losing early wickets and Amanis and Smitty rebuild um, at not a quick rate. Um, could hurt us because South Africa's ceiling, as I said, with the bat is, is pretty massive. And it showed when they, they beat us there. Our strength, I think, um, is experience. A lot of these guys played in the, the, the winning T20 World Cup a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think they'll feel the pressure, um, you know, if, if it does turn bad. But they'll back their teammates I think the bowling's very experienced. So if we do get a decent total, I can see us um, being able to close out the game. Uh, probably the two most important players for me are Zampa and Maxwell, who have had brilliant World Cups. Um, Zampa could potentially, if he has a good semi and a good final, go past Mitchell Stark's most wickets in a World Cup. Um, questions after a couple of games. He, he's been brilliant, but on a pitch that should turn, South Africa, not the best players of spin, but they, they try and hit a lot of boundaries, don't work um, Zamp as much. And then Maxi, hopefully he doesn't have to get 100. Yeah. But we know he can close out, give him 10 balls, he's going to make 30. And his ability to, to play against uh, Maharaj and, and their spinners might come into play deeper in there. So, um, no, I, I like the Aussies matchup against South Africa, Jared. I asked Western Bulldogs president Kylie Watson-Wheeler whether the external review would assess the position and performance of Coach Luke Beveridge. Well, this is this is not a review of people. It's a review of the department and the processes, and it's to help us, as I said, find those one percenters. Um, it's not a personnel review. Um, you know, clearly we're committed to Bevo. We've re-signed him, um, and we believe that the ch- changes that we made at the end of the season will really, in part, help him get the best out of both himself and the playing group in the year ahead. Racing Victoria Chief Executive Andrew Jones on the positive vibe that seemed to overcome the negativity towards racing during this spring carnival. Yes, we're really happy. The number one thing was um, fantastic and safe racing. So the horses got around safely and the jockeys got around safely. So huge tick and that really um, underwrites our social license and and um is in direct contradiction to the to the the haters if you like and so we thank the um owners trainers and jockeys for their efforts there and particularly the um not just the compliance but the promotion of the the spring protocols uh, for the melbourne cup carnival um and also crowds have come back you know the crowds were up six percent at um uh through the the feature um meetings both uh, metro and country through the the spring to date and um and uh at Flemington specifically they were up from you know 250 to 260 plus so very very encouraging did you feel the uh the town was dialed into the Melbourne Cup carnival in in that old way i thought 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and having um, lived in Sydney for a long time, there's really no comparison. There's nothing like it in uh, in any any other state of Australia than the Melbourne Cup kind of takes over the public imagination and people come from all directions. They come from all over the world um, to enjoy four amazing days and, and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. James Sutherland painted a modern picture of golf in Australia. Yeah, we've got five in the top 50 in the world at the moment. So when you look at the size of our country and, and population and, and number of facilities, we're producing through our programs at high performance from, from Golf Australia through to, to um, you know, we even have an affiliate tour program so they can transition a lot earlier. Um, so I think, you know, where you see where our game's heading at the moment, the pathways that we've got coming through, and we're, we're working on that with the women's side of the game too, Jared. but um, you know, we've got players that can play well in Australia now on that 18 event schedule. They can move across into Europe or onto the Corn Ferry Tour, make their way to the major tours, you know, the DP World or PGA Tour, play majors, play for their country, President's Cup or Olympics, um, and the same on the women's side. So we've got programs in place that we are producing a lot of really good players coming through. But what we've been doing a lot in the last 12 to 24 months is to make sure if they do play well here, where do they go? So our top three players last year will all take up their DP World Tour cards um, in first event, which is the Australian PGA. We've got 10 players at the moment over in DP World final stage of tour school. We've got players over in Corn Ferry tour school. We've got our women, you know, going to LPGA tour school and LET tour school. So we, we feel we're producing enough talent and then our programs are strong enough and robust enough to, when they do get overseas, they're in a much better position as well. And I think that's a lot to do with the pathway coming through from when they've been recognised as uh, a high performer within the sport, we can take them all the way through from that younger age all the way through to when they, they reach the yep. top. And Shannon Gill reminisced over the climax of World Cup's past. Well, with World Cup finals, I think it's pretty clear cut that the best one was the 2019 World Cup final as a singular game of cricket. But World Cup finals have a have a knack of, of setting a marker for time. So the, the winners of World Cup finals tend to either be teams that have had a great period or are about to have a great period. And that goes way back. So the first World Cup in 1975, West Indies beat Australia in the final, a pretty good game of cricket. Um, and this is when it was 60 overs, 60 yeah, over yeah. Um, games. Viv Richards gets three runouts, dismisses both chapels run, with runouts. Clive Lloyd gets 100. And it's from there that the West Indies sort of springboard the dominance. So I'm not sure if you've seen the – that West Indies doco fire in Babylon. Yeah, and that's, this is the first moment that the West Indies sort of realize we could do this. Now it doesn't happen straight away, but within a few years, they're the best team in the world and they're the best team in the world for the next, you know, 15 years after it. So that was a, a, a the first world cup actually set down the, the future of cricket could be seen in the, in that world cup. But then this phenomenon happens again. So 1983 World Cup, which is, again, this is played in England as well. India knock off the West Indies in the final. And it's a, it's a funny game in that, again, it's a 60-hover game, but India defend 180. <laughs> so so they've, they've clearly bowled well. But that, the ripple effect of that win back in India really sets us up for everything 
that now happens now with Indian cricket. So it, it awakens the, the, the nation that, Hey, we are good enough to be the best in the world. And as it happens, the next India end up hosting the next world cup. And that all sort of the, the, the commerce part comes later where, where the, the strength of the Indian economy sort of grows. And then we have India as the most dominant force in world cricket that we have today. So that all stems really from winning the world cup in yeah. 1983, uh, um, which was completely unexpected at the time. Then Australia's awakening happens in 87. I, yeah. 87, which is, you know, we've had some down moments in, in recent decades, but I don't think Australian cricket's had a worse three year period in that, that period after the chapel marsh lily, um, retirements to 1987 as bad as it could ever be. But Australia win the world cup really unexpectedly, uh, a bunch of young players doing, doing great things. There was the Mike Gatting reverse sweep, which was a really sort of controversial shot yep. that, that sort of turned the game. And you had Steve Waugh and, and Scoob, as we talked about before, perfecting the slower ball, which was sort of the first time people looked at one day cricket and said, Oh, we're actually going to do this differently to, to test cricket. And that, that sort of brings Australia back as a, as a, as a player in world cricket for, and that extends for a long time. The special place that Sri Lanka holds mm. is they played a role in revolutionizing the way that 50 over cricket was played. Yeah. So the 96 world cup where Australia lose to Sri Lanka in the final, the, there's lots of background to that in that they had been to Australia the summer before, and that was the, the murally no ball situation. Lots of angst between Arjuna Ranatunga and all of the Australian cricket um, team, basically. So the, there was this real angst, but in the background, what was actually happening is Sri Lanka, but with Jay Saria and Kalafarana were revolutionizing one day cricket in that they were going out there and smashing the ball from ball one, which is essentially the foretells T20 cricket and how T20 cricket's played and they win, they beat Australia who, you know, were, were favored to win. And it then it brings Sri Lanka as, as a world force, brings Sri Lanka up as a world force. But ultimately it's the thing that probably sets T20 cricket on a, on a path. So, and that's just a snapshot. The full program and all interviews are available through the Waitley podcast. Subscribe at sen.com.au.